Each business is unique and operated individually of others in the same industry. What they have in common is the potential path to success. Welcome to The Second Stage with your hosts, Jeffrey Cadlick and Brendan Anderson. In today's program, we'll address the obstacles that many businesses find on that path to success and discuss what entrepreneurs and their businesses are doing to stay ahead of the curve. Now, here's Brendan Anderson and Jeffrey Cadlick. Welcome to the show, The Second Stage. This is Jeff Cadlick. Uh, we're being very entrepreneurial here today on the show as uh, my partner, Brendan, is out on assignment and we're having some technical difficulties, so we're improvising and my very patient guest, Kathy Salad, CEO of Performance of a Lifetime and author of Performance Breakthrough, A Radical Approach to Success at Work, is on the line. Thank you for joining us here on the second stage, Kathy. How are you? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me, Jeff. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for your patience. No I was, um, I was as I was preparing for the show. I was fascinated by uh, the fact that you were a singer and an actor uh, before you kind of came into the business coaching cons- consultative world. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about your your kind of how you got started in singing and acting, and then how you made that that transformation uh, from the arts to business? Yeah, sure. Uh, well, I've actually, I, I think I started singing, you know, at the age of like four or five. And um, so, uh, and I was told early on that I had a good voice. Uh, and so I was sent to music lessons. <laughs> and uh, I was always a bit of a little drama queen. I, actually, my sister wrote plays for me um, that where I was the star. <laughs> uh, and we used to perform for neighbors. So I've been performing and singing uh since I was very, very young. I also, um, I also was, a, I guess, an early pioneer in non-traditional education. I talk about, a little bit about my story in my book. Uh, I'm a junior high school dropout uh, or middle school dropout, and I, um, I left school at the age of 12, and I started my own school uh, with a grouping of other uh, young people, along with their parents and um, innovative educators to create a different kind of school. And um, it really set me on a, a different kind of uh, life path. I, I was very interested in innovative and non-traditional approaches to learning at the same time that I was pursuing a career as an artist, ultimately as a jazz artist, as a performer, um, composer. And in that process of sort of being on these two roads, I had the good fortune to meet up with a grouping of psychologists and educators and philosophers uh, and artists who had been doing some of the early research on the importance of play and performance, uh, uh, imagination in the development of, uh, of children, um, and looking at how performance and imagination and play could also be of value for the ongoing learning and development for adults. So fast forward, uh, we formed Performance of a Lifetime as a school, a non-traditional school, for people who actually were not professional performers or who had any interest in the performing arts, per se, as a profession, but who wanted to grow 
in their own lives, people who, from all walks of life, they were business people, they were social workers, they were teachers, they were homemakers, they were graduate students, and in, for some reason or another, feeling the desire to maybe add to their lives, to, to reinvent their lives. Maybe they were feeling stuck professionally or personally. They wanted to grow as a person, and we designed uh, our school um, along the lines of using this research to help people to get on stage and belt out a song, <laughs> get up on stage and perform a scene from their lives uh, as their lives currently are, were, uh, and or a, a scene from the life that they wanted to create. Um, and to tap into this natural ability that, that everybody has because we all play and perform as kids. We have a natural ability to perform and to, to tap into this natural capacity and use it as a way to explore different facets of ourselves. And what started as a retail operation, of a B2C operation, um, actually transformed after a couple of years into a, uh, a B2B uh, model because one of my students who worked for a financial services company came to us after participating in one of our wild and crazy programs. Uh, and wild and crazy programs they were, Jeff. <laughs> and, um, and said, can you do something like what you did with, with us in our class at my school? Can you come and work with my sales team? Because I think that it could help them work together in a more productive and collaborative way. And I'd also like to help them to become more innovative and creative in how they solve problems. And the honest answer was, no, I can't do that. This stuff that we do is too crazy, too weird, too out there for corporate, the corporate world. But she convinced me. Um, and... Um, Lo and behold, we did a program, uh, and it was enormously successful. People found it very helpful, and so that's what we ended up, uh, you know, shifting our business model, and um, Performance of a Lifetime became a consulting and training firm for uh, leaders and for teams inside the business world to help, to help people to communicate better, to, to grow in their capacity to lead and um, inspire others, their sales skills, and so on, all using the tools of theater, performance, and improvisation. That, that's, that's actually a really fascinating story. And for those uh, people listening in, uh, you can learn more about Performance of a Lifetime at the website, www.performanceofalifetime.com, and follow on Twitter, at PerformLifetime. Uh, our guest is Kathy Salad, CEO of Performance of a Lifetime, and author of the book, Performance Breakthrough, A Radical Approach to Success at Work. So, so Kathy, there's some element, I guess, as I'm listening to you of, of um, you know, kind of putting yourself out there, uh, and and um, yeah, I, I I feel that singers and actors they're kind of they have this need to perform and uh, aren't really afraid to fail. Uh, you, you know, failing's not so bad. You just kind of dust yourself off and and do it again. Is is that a lot of what what was the basis of of your your school? Uh, you know, it's funny that you say that, 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 that we singers and performers are not afraid to fail. I think we are. Um, I mean, we're human. <laughs> 
and we're all afraid to fail in, in different ways. Perhaps there's a certain kind of tenacity, you know, and, um, uh, you know, willingness to be uncomfortable um, in ways that, uh, that might be somewhat different than, than, than other people. But, but, yeah, I do think you're totally right in, in that it is a, I mean, hey, we're getting on stage. We're putting ourselves out there, as you say. Uh, we're saying to people, look at me, uh, which, yeah. you know, is not the easiest thing for, for everybody to say, you know, and to invite. Look at me. Listen to me. And so, yeah, it's a combination of both. I think in a lot of the work that we, our work primarily, and I talk about this a lot in our book, in my book, and we do this work at Performance of a Lifetime, is to help leaders to get on a bigger stage or to help managers to, to make the leap into, a, into higher leadership positions. But whatever it is, it's to help people to, to do a new performance, right? And so a lot of what that involves is doing things before you know how, is, um, is, 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 and doing things even though your knees are knocking, performing in this new way anyway. And yeah. maybe it's not being a... Not afraid to fail, but but being a little bit more philosophical about failure. It's like, oh, let me see what I can learn from the big failure that I'm about to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you know. But I guess to 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 clarify my point a little bit more, it's not that you're afraid. I mean, there's failing like in a lonely, secretive way, <laughs> and then there's failing in front of an audience or failing in front of yeah. a lot of people in a conference room. I mean, it's, yeah. it is putting yeah. yourself out there and I can, I can definitely see that performance foundation that's required uh, to be, to elevate yourself and being a visionary and a leader and a messenger and a cultivator uh, out there in the workforce. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree with what you're saying. Another thing that performance gives us, is that if you think about what actors do, right? So what is Meryl Streep doing when she performs in, you know, the, 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 the hundreds of, you know, plays and, and films that she's, she's been in? She's always Meryl Streep. She never stops being herself. And she's pretending to be somebody else. She's pretending to be, you know, Margaret Thatcher or Julia Child. And, um, and so one way you could describe what that is is she's both being who she is, Meryl Streep, and she's being who she's not, Julia, Julia Child at the same time. And if you take that and you think, well, gee, what would happen if we take that off the stage and, and, and did it in, in everyday life? And, and we actually can look at our own, you know, human existence as to see how and when we do that. So, for example, when we get up on a bicycle for the first time, we don't study, read a book, you know, learn how to, you know, study a manual on how to ride a bike. You actually... You're not a bicycle rider yet, but you get up on that bike, you know, you've taken the training wheels off, your mom or dad has taken the training wheels off, and you have to pretend to be a bicycle rider in order to learn how to become one, in order to actually become one. And so you're, there's this period where you're sort of not the thing, but you're pretending to be the thing, right? And, so, and that's what acting is. And so what we do and what my book is about is helping people to, to, to get that kind of learning and development started again and taking those risks, you know. And you never have to, you don't have to worry that you're going to lose yourself or stop being who you are because you can't do that. But you can experiment more and you can try new versions of you that you haven't actually performed yet in the way that actors do. 
Yeah, that's that's actually a great way to think about it. It's it's weird in a way. You know, when you're young, you're willing to be vulnerable because you don't know any better. And over time, you develop the scar tissue, and it's kind of peeling that scar tissue away to be vulnerable again and and try being another version of you. Yeah. Absolutely. I love that, that phrase, the scar tissue develops. And, you know, and not to blame the people who were around us, certainly our parents, but part of what goes on is that, you know, there's a lot of stuff we have to learn as we, st- as we grow up. And some of the things that we have to learn require just getting it right, you know? Like, you really do not want to cross the street when the light is red. <laughs> so you've got to get that right. You don't want to experiment <laughs> in that kind of a situation. But... We pay a price, unfortunately, for that kind of learning and that kind of, you know, uh, acquisition of knowledge and information because we do it, unfortunately, at the expense of some of this other way of learning. And, yeah, we're trying to, we're trying to get that back into the mix. Right, right. So um, was, as I was preparing for the show, you know, I was looking at your book, Performance Breakthrough, A Radical Approach to Success at Work, and I think the first thing that struck me was uh, uh, the testimonials. And um, there was an author, there was a nurse, uh, there was a person that was a two-time Olympic gold medalist, there was a VP of Human Resources, a founder of a company, there was a Fortune 500 uh, chief learning officer, it's amazing the, the breadth of occupations and people from different walks of life that, that have embraced um, this book and this approach to being successful at work. Can you, can you talk about the, you know, why that is and, and why it seems to work through such a wide cross-section of people? Uh, thank you for noticing that about the testimonials. <laughs> that is that is very uh, very nice of you to share. Um, well, most I noticed, of the time it's I a bunch of different too. authors, you know, that that just write about each other's books. You know what I mean? It's the same right, right. writing about the same friends. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway. Um. So I mean, it is a, such a great question. Also, I think that uh, we are all human beings. <laughs> Olympic medal, gold medalists, and Fortune 500 CEOs, and nurses, and uh, you know, head of learning of development for uh, for this and that corporation, and and so on. We are all human beings, and so really, what the, we have a name for what we do at Performance of a Lifetime, and what what our approach is, and and I I, I spell this out in a lot of detail in the book in a way that I hope is very helpful to the reader. We call it the becoming principle, right? And so, and it sort of relates to what we were just talking about before, Jeff, that um, we're, if we're learning, if we're growing, then we are in this space where we're both who we are and who we are becoming. And that is helpful and important and necessary in whatever field you are or in whatever phase of your life you're in. I, I quote in the book uh, the wonderful poet Stanley Kunitz, who I heard read a poem which ended in, with the words something, words were something like, um, I am still changing. And the guy is 97 years old. <laughs> so performing and in the, off the stage, when you take this approach, which is combined with breakthroughs in the human development sciences, then 
everybody from all walks of life in all kinds of situations can can grow their careers, can grow themselves, you know, in how they do their relationships and how they relate to their families and 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 um and and how they, you know, can can take where they are now and and opportunize off of that to to go and do something completely different. But you you need support and you need performing, I think, to make those kinds of breakthroughs. I like what you're saying. So uh, I do want to take a minute to thank all of our uh, listeners out there on the Voice America business channel, voiceamerica.com. You can listen to this show and others by downloading the Voice America Talk Radio Network mobile app available for iOS or Android devices. Uh, And you can listen to us on iTunes, search for podcasts, and then the second stage. Um, so, So Kathy... Tell me about um, why you decided, you know, to take what you're doing at Performance Breakthrough and or Performance of a Lifetime and put it in your book, Performance Breakthrough. Well, I mean, it seems to me you know, you're kind you know of taking your, your roadmap, you know, and, and what you charge clients for, and you're putting it out there in a book for everybody to benefit from. Yeah. Yeah, well, exactly. I mean, we uh, a lot of the work that we do uh, ends up being at what is sometimes referred to as the top of the house, meaning the senior leaders, executive leaders, the C-suite. It's very um, what's called high touch. Uh, We work with companies and leaders who are going through a significant transformation. We're helping them to become who they are not yet, right? (laughs) Um, And I have always been interested in making this approach available to many, many, many more people. In fact, I actually, part of when I was sharing a little bit about my history before, I came upon this, what I would call sort of some combination of the magic and the power of performing off the stage as a way to help people to learn and to grow and to communicate better through community organizing work that I was doing, through community organizations. Um, and I was seeing the impact that it was having on, uh, on young people, young people from the inner city. Uh, I was seeing the impact that it was having on people who sort of, quote, don't belong together white and black people, young and old people, gay and straight people. And I was saying, wow, this is incredible. This is really helping people to, to listen and to hear and to each other in new ways. And, um, and so we, we started Performance of a Lifetime sort of out of that experience. And I am very interested in continuing to support and help people from all walks of life, and the book for me provides a way to do that uh, and to give it, make it available <laughs> for, you know, someone who doesn't work in a big corporation as well as somebody who does but may not have hired us. That's great. That's great that you're doing that. And, that, you know, Kathy, there's a big part of um, entrepreneurship that we see over and over and over again, at least the great entrepreneurs, I'm going to throw you in there, is, is that uh, you always want to give back um, you know, to other people, uh, other entrepreneurs, and I think it's wonderful uh, that, that you're doing that. Um, so in your book, 
uh, uh, performance uh, breakthrough, um, you, you there's there's the five fundamentals of performance, and the mm-hmm. first being choose to grow. So, what what does that mean to you? It means do things that are uncomfortable for you, that are difficult, uh, and. I can't say for the listeners, you know, what all of those specifics are, uh, because I don't know what people are, you know, are, are challenged by or are thinking about. But I'd say that one thing that I have found in working with entrepreneurs, and I certainly know for myself as an entrepreneur, something that can be hard to do is to ask for help. And to ask for all kinds of help, because Partly I think that we think, oh, we've got to know how to do this, or there's only certain kinds of help that I can ask for. But I think that you can go to people uh, that you admire, that you trust, maybe people that you don't even know, but you can go to them and say, you know, I'm, I'm working on this new venture, I've got this, this idea, Would you, could I take you out for a cup of coffee and ask you some questions and ask for some help? And if you're working or talking to somebody who you do know, you could say, what do you think I'm good at and what do you think I'm really lousy at? <laughs> Where do I need to grow? You know? yeah. And um, I think that you want to put yourself in situations where you hear things that maybe are hard to hear or you, you, know, you talk about things that you don't quite understand, but you put yourself in the, quote, zone where you're just beginning to get a grasp of what it is that someone might be talking about. You know, making mistakes. You were talking before about failing and, like, you know, doing it in front of people. Um, like, to one of, the, one of the tips that we give people, uh, you know, in the book and, I, and, and in our work is when you make a mistake... Tell people about it and, like, say, wait till you hear the doozy of a mistake that I just made, you know, and and let's unpack it, you know. And you're sitting there and you want to kill yourself, (laughs) you know. You're, like, crying, you know. And you're like, let's talk about it so that I and we can, you know, learn from it. And I think that's a very scary thing to do, um, but it's so growthful. Um, And so, so... Choosing, making a choice to do that, even though it's hard. That's what I mean by it. Yeah, you know, and I tell you, Jim Collins, one of my favorite lines, uh, Jim Collins, uh, the very noted popular author, said the opposite of uh, success isn't failure but growth. And Mm -hmm. uh, that's the mindset that you have to have. And uh, I think there's a lot of value in those groups like a Vistage or an EO or a YPO where you're kind of in that safe zone where you can share and uh, laugh and cry at your mistakes and kind of dust yourself off and and get back out in the game. But, you know, everybody makes mistakes along the way, evolution included, and... uh, as you say, unpack it. <laughs> it kind of stuck with me because every once in a while we have to unpack one of our investments and do a little bit of a restart because uh, we miss things along the way and it's not fun having somebody else look over your shoulder and Monday morning quarterback it, but it's healthy. You know what I mean? You learn from your failures as much as you do, if not more, from your, your successes. So I want to keep going through this, these, these five uh, fundamentals 
Um, and the second one is build ensembles everywhere. What does that mean yes. to you? Why is it in there? Well, as a performer, uh, I'm a, I, uh, I've been part of music and jazz ensembles and part of plays, you know, with casts of anywhere from three people to, or even if, if, if it's a one-woman show, you're always part of a team, to, um, to being uh, an improviser, a comedic improviser, where you're actually working with people and you're, you're, you're creating theater on the spot. And these are all ensembles. So I've had the good fortune of, of, of experiencing the power of what, it, what it's like when you really a tightly knit creative grouping of people who is working off of each other and building on uh, all the good and all the bad, you know, and, and figuring out together how to do that. So I think that, um, I think that businesses are, uh, you know, this language of, the, of, of performance and theater, it's a play, <laughs> you know, and you have it's a play your business, and you as a, either the CEO or or as somebody who you know is the person responsible for software development, you know, whatever you the receptionist, you're you're a character in the play that is the company, and so when we think about um, if if our companies and our businesses are a play, then we have a responsibility to one another to put up that show every night. And so what does that take? And so in my book, I talk about what that takes and how to think about meetings as, you know, a scene in a play and how do you, how do you grow the ensemble so that everybody wants to do their best and it's not just about the stars, which doesn't mean that you don't have to shine a light on the stars if that's part of what it means to grow the business. But it also means that, you know, there's this thing in, in theater, Jeff, I don't know if you've ever been in any plays, but... Um, one of my one of the most important lessons that I had uh, as a as an actor as a young actor was how to stand and what to look like when other actors were speaking, right? Mm-hmm. Because yep. you as on the stage you have to direct the audience, you have to let the audience know where to look, and you have to give the audience direction so that they know what's happening. And if you're Standing there, you know, like doing your nails because you just did your line and you're done. <laughs> or like looking, looking up at the ceiling instead of focusing the attention on, on the scene that's happening and who the other people are. Well, it just makes the whole play suck, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, well, that's it's, it's I have like no experience with that. I actually was in, I was in drama all through junior high, but they were smart enough to put me like in the back of the stage, like uh, <laughs> as a almost like a prop. So I had zero acting skills uh, at all. Um, I want to remind our listeners that we're here with our guest Kathy Salad, CEO of Performance of a Lifetime, and the author of the book Performance Breakthrough: A Radical Approach to Success at Work. Uh, you can find out more about Performance of a Lifetime at www.performanceofalifetime.com. You can follow uh, uh, Performance of a Lifetime on Twitter at Perform Lifetime. Uh, I'd also like to take a quick second to thank our sponsor, RSM, formerly McGladry, the leading provider of assurance, tax, and consulting services focused on small and mid-sized businesses nationwide with more than 6,700 people in 75 U.S. cities. So, um, Kathy, 
you, you dedicate an entire chapter, which is the Performance Fundamental 3, to listening. So why is listening so important, and what can help us become better listeners? Lee Iacocca once said that he wished that there was a, an institute for business professionals for how to listen. <laughs> it is just, uh, it is so important in, in, in business. Um, we, um, I think there's like been studies that show that something like, you know, 80% of our time in conversation is spent talking and 20% listening. And that's not even like looking at like the quality of the list of, of listening. Um, there are, there's a lot to work with if we listen. There are a lot of opportunities out there if we listen carefully. We tend to get sort of stuck to our script and for, you know, we get stuck to our spiel. Uh, and um, we, we miss the offers, and I mean offers, uh, we use the term in improvisation, we, 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 we hear offers that other improvisers give us, even if it's not what we expected, even if it's not what we like. Um, I talk in my book about a number of different business and sales situations where because you're, you know, you're in a, you're in a situation where you've got a sale to make or you've got a presentation you're making, you're plowing through, you know, what you prepared, and, and you don't notice that the person or the persons that you're talking to are yawning or looking at their watch or, or, or you know, clearly not interested. And it may be sort of counterintuitive to think of that as an offer, but it is. And what the author is saying is, I'm not listening to you. You're not getting to me. And so listening is being attentive to what you see. It's being attentive to what you hear and then doing something with it. Like, let me take a break here and check in to see how this conversation is going. Let me see if I'm speaking to what it is that you need. What do you think? But we have to be willing to break from our script and to be connecting to the people that we're in the conversation with. And um, listening can be scary because people might feel like, oh, well, if I really listen, then I might not know what to say. I think that that's a risk we have to take. And if you listen like an improviser, and I have a bunch of tenets and, and um, techniques for this in, in the book, then what you actually can do is the combination of what you bring to the table and what you hear the person saying gives you what you need in order to know what to say next. Hmm. So it's, it's uh, both verbal and nonverbal communication you use to guide the conversation along the way? Yes. Exactly. So I would imagine, though, that as I'm listening to you, and and it makes complete sense, but there's some people that just what you're asking them to do scares the heck out of them. Um, You know, whether they they are challenged with public speaking, uh, they don't like conflict, uh, they they, uh, struggle with adapting to the conversation like you're saying. It's like if somebody, you know, when I, at the beginning of my career yawned while I was talking, I probably would have freaked out. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and so there's, 
for me anyway, it, there's been a real path to doing what you're saying I should do, but it's taken me a long time. Um, you know, is your organization able to kind of compress that time and get people to use their tech, your techniques to open up more quickly and do these things that are, you know, very hesitant to do the things that you're asking them to do? Sorry for the long question. So, yes, I think that the techniques that we have developed and that we've taken from the world of theater and improvisation are actually very helpful to get people on that road. So one, one technique that I'll throw out for people, um, and there's, there's many more in, in, in my book, but is, um, is this term that we use in improvisation where you say yes to whatever it is that anybody is saying, so somebody, this is, this is you, from the world of improv, you know, you walk into a, into a scene, you walk on stage, and somebody turns to you and says, that is an amazing pair of antlers that you have on your head. Now, I walk into the scene, and I'm thinking I'm, you know, I'm walking into a restaurant, and then I'm a chef, or, you know, whatever I have in my head, you know. And I've got to immediately get into gear with what's happening and listen to what is being said, and I say, yes. And I, then I, I say yes to it, and then I have my next thing might be something like, you know, thank you very much. I just got these from Macy's. Do you, do you think the color works for me? And so you say yes to what you hear, and then you say what comes next. And so what I think is that it, it, it directs, it's this, it's this funny thing. Our natural tendency, Jeff, is to say yes, but, instead of yes, and. Um, but yes, and helps us to listen because we have to say yes to something that we've heard. <laughs> and then, you know, we say something, we say, we say something that follows from there. And you know what, Jeff, sometimes what follows from there is a question. So we do a lot of work with people on helping, helping you to become more curious. And once again, that's going to give you material to use in your conversation, because now you're learning a bunch of stuff from the person that you're talking to that you didn't know unless, you know, unless you were paying attention and you were performing as a curious person, even, even if, by the way, you don't go into the conversation feeling curious. That's okay. That's the wonderful thing about performing. You can pretend until you become it. Huh. That's interesting. Um, no, that's a great Great. That's a great point. Um, so let me keep moving on here in your book because there's more I want to get to, uh, sure. including getting into Act 3, uh, which is beyond uh, the fundamental five. But uh, the, you, you devoted an entire chapter to creating with crap. Uh, one of the exercises <laughs> you give is when someone does something that is stupid or annoying, write a poem or make up a song about it. Yeah, how does that help in uh, any examples you're seeing in action? And maybe you just gave some uh, in the prior answer. Yeah. Oh my God, we have so much crap that we have to deal with. You know, Jeff. It's just like it's just like it hits us in the face all the time. In fact, just when we were getting started, right? That was sort of like a crappy situation. So, so you know, in one in one sense, it's a sort of a simple idea, right? What are the blues? You know, I'm a singer, so what are the blues? The blues are, you know, you sit, 
something you're feeling really bad about, some like horrible heartbreak, some like terrible situation. And so what you do is you sing or you play the blues instead of just totally wallowing in your, you know, your, your misery. And so you, you, you create with that crappiness, you know. And so it's sort of taking that idea and, and bringing it into everyday life. I mean, you know, you could... We could, we could take our, like, you know, my computer is driving me crazy. The server goes in and out. My boss thinks that I'm lazy. And now I'm beginning to doubt that I'll ever find a solution to the mess that I am in. My computer is driving me crazy. Again and again and again. Kathy, you're very talented. I will say that, and I will have to give you credit. We've done probably 100-plus episodes. You're the first person that's ever sung on the show. So you, there's a lot of firsts there. Well, very impressive. I'm, so, I'm glad to break new ground. But you know, what, what's really interesting about what you're saying, though, through really all of this, is that you have to be a pretty fast on your feet. You've got to be pretty witty you know, to be able to respond Stay cool, keep your head, and respond in a way like that where you're being vulnerable. Yes. I mean, on the one hand, it's true that, that you, you could have a big response like what I just did, right? A witty, creative response and whatever. And I'm a weird person. I like singing at the drop of a hat. So, you know, I, I try to do it whenever I can. <laughs> yeah, I don't but, I think mean, that I would get the same yeah. reaction that you did. But, you know, set that aside. <laughs> but but if you you see another way you can you can create with crappy situations is you could say this is crappy this is awful that this happened let's figure out another response together other than the one that I'm sort of you know inclined to do which is to hit my head against the wall um, so I'm thinking about some work that we just did with. A, a, one of our a leader that we're working with, and his top person was taken off of a client project team. Uh, like literally, this guy is like the guy you want to have on your team, and he was taken off by his his boss. He was taken off and, and put on another client project, and he was like in trouble as a response, uh, you know, as a result rather. And um, he was sort of like foaming at the mouth to me about this, and I said to him, "Well." This is an opportunity for you to go to the team and build the strength of the team by having the team together with you come up with a come up with a a, a solution to the problem. And he looked at me like I had two heads, but I and he said, "Okay, I wouldn't have thought of that." And that's what he did. He went to his team and said, "We had this huge gap. Let's figure out together how we might solve this problem. Like, what can we draw on either by our, you know, with with our own resources and or what outside resources can we bring in if we have the capacity to do that. He ended up promoting somebody who was really due a promotion, but, you know, they'd been so busy, they hadn't, hadn't really addressed that. And it's sort of like, you know, it's, it, it, it really worked out. I, I, I can't say that it worked out better than it would have because we don't know. It didn't, we didn't have that opportunity. But 
he and the team grew as a result. And so that's an example of creating with crap. And it doesn't take a witty statement to, to create with that. It, it might be that the, quote, witty statement is, hey, let's figure out what the heck to do about this. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. I was probably putting too much pressure on myself <laughs> to come up so to come up with a, a great song like you just did. It's, <laughs> it would be impossibility. Um, uh, so the, the la- I want to get through the five fundamentals here, and the, the, the last fundamental is improvise your life. And yes. Why is that? Why you, why did you dedicate a chapter to that? Hmm. Well, you know, in some ways, Jeff, everything we've been talking about is a form of improvisation. And so I wanted to highlight that uh, with this chapter um, because I want to help people to, uh, to get at, to break habits, you know, to, to not always choose our, our default performance. I mean, and sometimes what that means is, we come home from work, you know, and we greet our 10-year, 5-year, 30-year, you know, husband-wife partner by saying, you know, rumbling, mumbling, you know. And, 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 and a new way, if, you, if you're improvising your life, maybe what you do is you, you walk in and you say, you know, hey, hey, how are you? I missed you, even if you didn't miss them. But it yeah. creates a new scene, and it creates a new kind of performance, and that's, human beings can do that. We can mix it up. So sometimes it's like that kind of thing, Jeff, and sometimes it's like what like we, what we were just talking about, about creating with crap. You know, it's like, what would be a different way for me to respond to this situation? You know, well, maybe what we should do is, make up a song about it, or maybe what we should do is I should promote somebody who I haven't promoted, you know. That's all an improvisation, and, um, and, and, and learning to improvise is a, is a discipline, and so um, I have tenets that I share about, like, what are the core attributes to improvisation. Um, it's the, the same thing that makes improv comedy so funny on stage, where you have these people who are making it up on the spot, you know, handling all kinds of curveballs. Um, right. What makes it so funny, if you take that, those same set of skills um, and concepts and you bring it into everyday life, it creates the possibility for uh, much more innovation, for stronger connections with people, which goes back to that listening chapter that we were talking about. Uh, it, it makes it possible for people to collaborate better together. So it's just it's an embarrassment of riches as far as, you know, I'm concerned and performance of a lifetime is concerned. And I think that, and our clients, because people say that they now feel free to try stuff that they, they wouldn't have felt, you know, free to try. And, and it doesn't, again, it doesn't have to be like get up on stage and suddenly make up a blues like I just did, but it could be just those little tiny, maybe you, maybe you walk to work another way, drive to work another way, mix it up. Yeah, no, I, I so would, don't be afraid to, like you said, I mean, like, like uh, I always say, you know, be prepared to push yourself out of your comfort zone, which is exactly. your choose to grow. Uh, yeah. And that, that comfort zone may be walking to work the same, same way 
you know, every single time. Um, so, uh, you know, in your next section, you talk about uh, storytelling, um, and, and we're all storytellers. And to me, what was really interesting is in the private equity world, you know, when you're trying to communicate to your investors or you're trying to communicate even to uh, your partner companies um, a message, you know, telling it in a story is, is the right way to do it. It makes it memorable. You can get your message across, even a really tough message by putting it into a, a story that you think is relevant. Uh, what are you talking about in, in this chapter? I'm talking exactly about that and really just providing um, both techniques and tips for how to do it. Uh, and I'll, I'll share one with, with your listeners. Um, if you have a presentation to make, if you have a, no matter what it is, it could be something that is just like dry and data-driven, right? Or, you know, don't, just something that, or it could be something that maybe lends itself to a story. Recast what it is that you want to say in your process of preparation by starting, trying to tell the story uh, with the, starting with the words once upon a time. <laughs> and see how that impacts on what you say. Okay? And I have, there's a whole, there's a whole thing what we call the, sto- the story spine that I, that I share in the, in the book and people can find out more when you buy it. But, but at least start with um, once upon a time. Um, and then the only thing I'll add is that um, I think that, and you, I think you said this, Jeff, then just, just as we were saying before about improv, you don't, then you don't want to get stuck on just telling the same story. Keep on creating the story. Keep on figuring out what the story is about. Keep on adding stories because human beings are storytellers. So that's a, a, another way to continue to be alive and in, and in the world. That's great. Um, I want to uh, remind all of our listeners on the second stage that each week we want to provide actionable advice and have you continue the dialogue through comments and questions on our blog at evolutioncp.com. Uh, you can email us here at the second stage, the second stage at evolutioncp.com, and follow us on Twitter at evolution underscore CP. We're here with our guest, Kathy Sallett, the CEO of Performance of a Lifetime, a a, well, I was going to say a former singer, but clearly you're still an active singer. You have a beautiful voice, <laughs> actor, uh, an artistic associate at the Castillo Theater in New York City. Um, let me let me just ask you one other thing, and and that is is some of your best practices around networking. You know, for someone like you that's engaging, uh, gregarious, you know, that's a pretty straightforward um, activity, uh, what, do you, what would you, in a few minutes, uh, what would be your, your kind of best practices for networking? Best practices for networking? Well, I think two things. One is you're entering a scene in a play, the networking play, um, and the, the networking play that is part of your remember, sort of larger play, which is your business, whatever, whatever that is. Um, I'm assuming that this is like a networking situation as opposed to going home 
um, you know, correct. and meeting your in, your in laws for the first time, which is another. Yeah, kind no, of this is you go in a room full of people and you got to make an impact. Yeah, and so. Yeah, I think that there is a different, there are different. You should choose your character. So one character you might you might choose that I often will recommend to people is be the connector. Be the connector. Be the person that is going to sort of you know chat with one or two people. Maybe you know somebody. Maybe you don't. And then you you say, oh, you know, I I heard I was looking at the roster and I saw that there was somebody here from you know such and such company. You know who does such and such. Um, you know. But maybe maybe I'll find them and, and, and connect you two because that so you're sort of there and you know you're sort of in some sense functioning as an informal connector um, and it gives you something to do. Another thing that you can do is to help make other people feel comfortable. There you are. You're nervous. You're like insecure. You're intimidated. But then you perform as somebody who is helping other people feel comfortable. Once again, it gives you something to do. It gives you something to say. And, and what might that be? That could include things like, um, <clears throat> how do you like networking? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, you could, be, you could be totally, you know, you're like, I don't know about you. I'm not the most comfortable with it, but, you know, of course, we've got to do it. How do you think about it? You know, are you comfortable? You know, and, and there's a certain kind of, uh, you could be honest, you can be candid, and you, you're helping them be comfortable at the same time. And there's a bunch of other stuff that I say in the chapter. When yeah, that, and that's, that's awesome <laughs> advice, Kathy. I just want to make sure I get this in one last time. We're with our guest, Kathy Sallett. CEO of uh, Performance of a Lifetime, and we're talking about her book, Performance Breakthrough, A Radical Approach to Success at Work. I enjoyed uh, reviewing it, and I will get through it, I'm sure, here uh, this week. Um, And you can learn more about her organization, Performance of a Lifetime, at www.performanceofalifetime.com. Kathy, we are out of time. I appreciate your patience earlier in the show with our technical difficulties, but I assume, based on our conversation, your expertise, that you're used to adapting. And uh, I, we really I am. Yes. All your <laughs> you have a wonderful day, and uh, uh, everybody out there in second stage land, um, passion for possibilities. Thanks so much for tuning in. Thank you for tuning in this week to the second stage. Please join Jeffrey Cadlick and Brendan Anderson again next Monday afternoon at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And have a successful week.